Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Gospel, chapter 15, John's Gospel, chapter 15. Don't get nervous. We are going to come back to our sermon series on the seven things that God hates next Sunday. I'm uh, taking a little bit of hitting the pause button, I guess, if you will. And uh, we will uh, finish up that series next week. Um, I learned a long time ago that when certain holidays come, certain three-day weekends, that a lot of people are going to be gone. That, uh, you know, whatever is the capstone of a series, you got to save it when most of the people are here. So uh, I'm going to uh, do that next week. We're going to sort of finish off that series with uh, number seven. And uh, we'll look at that when we get there next week. Today I wanted to sort of just, uh, my heart was stirred this, this week. Um, I was on a conference call with some other pastors this week, and one of the subjects we talked about was this idea of rest. You know, one of the things that Americans do lousy at is rest. We don't know what it means to rest. We think that, you know, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to accomplish things, then you have to constantly be going at it. Amen? I mean, that's the way we treat life. And we even do that with our spiritual life. We, we want to make sure that we do all the right things on the right days, at the right times, you know, in order to be successful as a Christian. But the reality is most of us do not understand the spiritual idea of rest. And out of our conversation as we began to, to talk together and pray together, God sort of just whispered to my heart, you know, one of the things about rest that's so important is this idea of abiding, You know, many of the scriptures in the Old Testament tell us, you know, that God had a a rest for his people, but his people never experienced the rest. But there's a rest for us who are his people, and that's in Christ Jesus. He is the ultimate rest that we have. We can rest from our sin, amen? Thank God for that, that he has delivered us once and for all, from the sting of our sin. And he has defeated death. And we need to learn to rest, to abide in him. We don't do that very well because, again, we're busy, busy people. And so I want to encourage you today as we think about abiding, I want to encourage you to think about some seasons, maybe rhythms of rest that you can build into your schedule into your life by which you can pull away and spend some time abiding in the Lord. Now, I realize that what Jesus is saying here by the word abide and being present tense in its verb form, meaning that it's a constant. So it's not that we necessarily uh, are not abiding even when we're working because we can abide and work at the same time. But there is this idea by which Jesus withdrew from the Father as he abided with the Father. He had seasons and rhythms of rest by which he withdrew to be by himself, to pray, and to rest. And if Jesus needed that, certainly we need to build that into our life and into our schedule as well. Uh, You know, I like to look at it this way. What I like to do is clear the noise. 
There's a lot of stuff that goes on around us every day, and sometimes we just got to clear the noise. You know, the, the greatest invention was the fact that we can carry a, a phone in our pocket, but it's also our greatest curse. You know, we have a hard time pulling away from our devices, don't we? I don't know about you, my device, it rests at night right beside my bed. If anything is posted on Facebook, it'll ding. Well, I think I changed it where it doesn't do that anymore because it kept waking me up. Uh, I'm amazed that people post on Facebook in the middle of the night. But, you know, it, you know it, it, it's, it's there beside the bed. I pick it up in the morning. It's the first thing I look at because my alarm's on it. And it's the first thing I look at. And I find myself going through the emails. And it's very distracting, isn't it? And so I'm, I'm learning that what I need to do is turn that thing off. And I need to spend some time abiding in the morning with the Lord. And, you know, whatever happens for an hour just happens. Amen. Uh, there's not an emergency going to arise. There's not something, you know, where I can just spend time with the Lord and learn to abide in him. So I want to talk about abiding today. So look at what Jesus says in John 15, very familiar text of scripture to us. We're going to read through verse 11 and then uh, we'll uh, exegete and look, look at the text together. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the true vine. Now, this text, by the way, is the last of the seven I am statements of Jesus. When Jesus is using an I am statement, here's what he's saying. I'm God. It's a, it's a direct reference to the fact that he is God. Amen? And so Jesus, in all of the I am statements up to this place, didn't mention the Father. Every time the I am statements are up until this place, he has never mentioned the Father. He didn't need to. He and the Father are one, he tells us. When you see him, he said, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus hasn't had any need to mention the Father in the past. In this text, he's going to. Notice he says, I am the true vine, and the Father, my Father, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then here's my life verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, he says, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and it is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask, verse 7, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my Love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, verse 11, that my joy may, be, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus gives us this idea of abiding. And so many times when we approach this text, what we're most concerned with is the idea of bearing fruit. Now, that's a good, you know, a good idea to come away with because if you look at the text, he mentions bearing fruit at least five times in the text. And so there is this idea by which Jesus is talking about bearing fruit. And, ever, and listen, it is 
It is unthinkable to think that we would call ourselves followers of Christ and be barren. That is that we would not bear fruit. That is impossible. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to bear fruit. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But as we think about the text, we think about the idea that Jesus is getting to is this idea of abiding because if you're not abiding, you're not bearing. And so when you look at the text, the first thing Jesus starts off with is he talks about the vine and then he talks about the vine dresser and then he talks about the branches. You see it there? Look at verse one again. He says, I am the true vine. That is, there's no other. Can I tell you folks, there's no other way to the father but by Jesus. Amen. There's not multiple ways. There's only one way. Jesus Christ is the only way unto salvation. And people try all kinds of different things. They try good works. They try philosophy. They try religion. Uh, even some try Baptist religion. Some try baptism. They try to give a lot of money. Let me tell you something. There's only one way, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him. Faith alone, grace alone, is what brings people into the kingdom of God and into relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says here in the text, I'm the true vine. That means there could be false ones out there, right? Jesus says, but I'm the true one. I am the true, here it is, you ready? Life source. Life source. The vine is what gives life to the branches. Without the vine, you don't have branches, right? Without the vine, you don't have the grapes. We're talking about a vineyard. We're talking about looking at a grapevine. So without The main line, the main vein, if you will, there is no life. Without Jesus, there is no spiritual life. But then he says this, I'm the true vine, but my father is the vine dresser. That is, the father is the one who tills the soil. The the father is the one who keeps the vineyard. The, The father is the one who is working in this world to bring about salvation for lost people, but he's also working in this world to sanctify you and I. Amen? You with me? So Jesus says that he's the true vine, the true life source, but the Father is the one who's planted the soil, who's nurturing the soil and giving nutrients to the soil, and he is the one who is working the vineyard. And those who are attached to the vine, he says... Are the branches. Notice how he says it. He says, in every branch in me. That is, that there are these branches that are abiding onto the vine. And he says in verse 2 that there are some branches that he says are in him that do not bear fruit. And what happens to those branches is that the Father takes them away, literally cuts them off. And every branch that bears fruit, he proves that two things are going on. What is God doing? Number one, what God is doing is God is cutting away the vine or the, the, excuse me, the branch that is attached to the vine that is not producing any fruit. That is that they are trying to draw life source from the vine, but they cannot and they are not producing fruit. So who are these people? Well, this is an interesting question to ask because some would say, well, no, that's not what God is saying at all. What God is doing here is that what God is doing is instead of cutting off, God is lifting up the vine off the ground so he can nourish it and give it health so that it will produce fruit. That's not what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, Jesus is giving this discourse right after one of the vines is cut off or one of the branches is cut off. His name was Judas Iscariot. If you look at the context, Jesus is in the upper room discourse. 
And Jesus has already had an encounter with his betrayer. And you can remember that when they were sitting at the table and Jesus said, one of you will betray me. They all sort of looked together at each other and they kept asking Jesus, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And Jesus said, it's the one who dips in the saucer with me, right? And it was Judas. And he says to Judas, go out and do quickly what you have planned. And so Judas has already left. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. There is someone who looked like he was part of the vine, right? He looked like a branch. He hung out with Jesus. He saw the ministry of Jesus. He even participated in the sending out of the disciples. He even participated in miracles, casting out demons. He participated. We don't have any cause to believe he didn't. But we also know that Jesus calls him the son of hell. He's the son of perdition. He wasn't saved, folks. He was like, where's Judas now? He's in hell. He's in hell. He's the son of the devil. He's in hell. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's not in hell because he betrayed Jesus. He's in hell because he never, by faith, expressed in Jesus for salvation. He never believed. He walked with Jesus, but never believed. Isn't that crazy? We wonder why people don't believe. It's because their hardness is their hearts. And so Judas never believed. So here we have in the context, God is cutting off. And so Judas is cut off. But then what does God do? He cuts off, but then he prunes. We don't like that part. Because that's those who are followers of Christ. Those, those who are truly followers of Christ. What does he have to do to us? He has to cut away, right? A pruning process. I, I looked up this pruning process. There's four types of things that go on in a pruning process. There is what they call pinching, and that is where they remove some vigorous growth tips that are coming. So, so sometimes the vine is growing too fast, and they have to break it off to keep it from going too fast. And, and then there's this topping by which they remove you know, a, a foot to two feet of uh, a vine, a, a branch. And then there's a thinning out where, you know, you don't want too much going on around and so they thin it out. But then there is this true pruning and that is when he begins to cut away the suckers. He, he, he cuts away those things that could damage the branch. That's what God's doing to us. God's working in your life and he's working in my life and what he wants to do is he wants to prune away the things that are not Christ-like. The things that are not like Jesus. I think we may have showed a video here a couple of years ago called The Chisel. And it was about two guys. They were standing there. One was being God. And he was chiseling at the guy. You know, the reality is what God is doing at your life and in my life. God is using sometimes difficult circumstances, sometimes hard circumstances, most often the word, in order that he would chip away at us the very things that are hindering us from being like Jesus. Because after all, isn't that God's plan? Isn't that what God has predestined you to be conformed to? Romans 8, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's his plan. And so God has to work on us as a branch, and he has to trim away that which is not Christ-like so that we may reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And so we have the vine and we have the vine dresser and we have two branches being mentioned. One who are false believers. They may look like believers, but they're not believers. There's no fruit. 
You're saying, well, what's this fruit thing? Well, we're going to come back to it in just a minute. You just hang on. We're going to talk about fruit. But there's no fruit in their life. And then there are true believers who he prunes. But notice in verse 3, we know there's these true believers that he prunes because in verse 3, he then talks to the other 11. He said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus had already saved them. They were already into the kingdom. They were already his. Amen. They already belonged to Jesus. And he says, because of the word that he spoke to them, they, by faith, Believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. Amen? I mean, after all, Peter makes that declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nathaniel called him Messiah. So Jesus has these 11 guys. And so what he has to do is he has to prune these 11 gentlemen. And he's been pruning and and he's continuing to, to prune them as they grow in Christ and as they grow in relationship. But as you move into verse 4 and you move into verse 5, there is this idea of abiding. Let's look at it together. He says, he says in verse 4, abide in me. Present tense Greek verb, meno is the word, means to remain in. So Jesus is saying, remain in me. That, that this word abiding is it's not some kind of spiritual, you know, um, exercise by which we are meditating or things of that nature. No, it is this idea by which we volitionally as the followers of Christ remain in relationship in connection with Jesus Christ. That is that we realize that he is our life source. And that if I'm going to bear fruit, then I must maintain this intimate relationship with him. But here's the good news. Notice what Jesus says in the text. Remain in me, he says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. There's this relationship. Remember when we talked about being a Jesus follower. We said the whole thing about being a Jesus follower is about relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about what you know and it's not about what you do. It's about this relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, Jesus is emphasizing that here in John 4 and 5 by saying, you need to remain in me because listen, I'm remaining in you. And there's the good part, right? The good part is that as he remains in me, I can remain in him. Amen? Because I am his, he's not going to lose me. Because I do belong to Jesus, I'm going to be the one who abides and remains in him. Why? Because he's in me. It's his his pulling. It's his power. It's his calling. It's his spirit that woos me to continue in relationship with him. What is it that does that in your life? You know, are you just having a daily time with the Lord because, you know, it's the religion thing to do. You want to check off your block or are you being summoned? Are you being called by Jesus? Are you being called by the spirit to come and to abide and to rest in him and to read the word and let the word read you? Amen. Because that's what it should be about. It's not about just doing our religious duty and checking off blocks. No, it's about this relationship that we have with Jesus by which is intimacy where we want to spend this time with him because he's calling us to spend that time with him. Why? Because as I abide in him, he is abiding in me. And that's good news to me. And so Jesus said, notice he says in the text, he says, abide in me and I in you. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Just think about it. If you take this branch and you cut it off, It could be a healthy branch, but once you cut it off and you set it off to the side, what's going to happen? It's going to die. It's going to die. Why? Because there's no life source. (laughs) There's nothing there. It's not going to grow anything. 
And what is it good for? To be thrown on the, the wood pile, to be burned. And so Jesus talks about this idea of abiding and how you and I need to rest in him and, and he is resting in us by which then he says we can find this life source. He said, and we, can, we can't bear fruit unless we do abide in him. He said, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he reverses it, verse five. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he's talking to the disciples, he's talking about true believers. He said, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, here it is, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. When are we going to get to that? When are we going to get to where we understand that I cannot do anything without Jesus? Sure, I can stand up here and preach. I can impress. I can use the years of preaching I've been doing to pull out an old sermon, whip it up, you know, and throw it out there on the hot plate and give it to everybody. I can do that. But is there really spiritual power? Is there a spiritual significance in what I'm doing? You get it? You see what I'm saying? Judas looked just like the other guys. He went out with them. He cast out the demons. He saw the healings. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He heard the teaching of Jesus. He looked just like everybody else, but there was no spiritual power. And I wonder, in our lives, if the Spirit of God was taken up, would we just continue on day after day after day after day after day not even realizing it because we're not abiding. We're not finding spiritual strength and vigor and energy by resting in Jesus. Amen. That's why we need revival. We need to be reminded that everything we try to do without Jesus, everything we try to do without him, is going to fall flat on its face. But here's the problem. So many churches, so many people are having such great success without him. But all it is is human success. All it is is built on men. And it's doomed to fail. Scary, isn't it? That's why this abiding is so important. That's why we need to find in our lives these rhythms of rest by which we pull away from the noise of the world, the noise of our families, the the noise of our jobs, and we get along with God and say, God, I need to come because if I'm to abide, then God, I need to avail myself so that Christ in me can help me to abide. Because of my own, not going to do it. But with your spiritual strength, with your wooing of your spirit calling me to come and to get, a, get along with you, I can abide. That's where rest comes in. But we're too busy. We need to slow down. Amen? And not wait till we're retired to slow down. Because everything I see from retired folks is they don't slow down. <laughs> they just do other things, Right? Other responsibilities crop up and go visit and grandkids and work around the house and fix those things that have been sitting for 30 years while you've been working, right? Like Roger used to say, the J-O-B gets in the way of some of those things. When you have no J-O-B, then you can do those things, amen? So Jesus talks about abiding. This is important because, listen, 
everything flows out of this abiding. Notice how he says that in the text. Picking up, look at verse 6. He picks up there, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's why this cannot mean that Jesus is talking about God just lifting up a branch. That's why he's talking about true cutting off. He's talking about the, the, the branch that doesn't bear anything. It's sawed off of the vine, and it's cast into the burn pile. That's, that's not the imagery of God doing something to help a Christian, you know, who's not bearing fruit to, to bear fruit. That's, that's not an imagery that we're getting. The imagery we're getting is that branch is thrown in the fire because it was trying to be attached to the vine when it's not really part of the vine. I mean, as a matter of fact, in my front yard, there is a, uh, a, a bush on the side. We're really on the side of my house. There's a bush and somehow some wild grapevine has taken over that bush. I cannot find the, the root of that thing. I have searched and I have looked and I've been cutting it away and cutting it away and trying to find a thing. And it has just overcome that bush. You know, what happens is some people want to try to look like they're part of the vine. They want to attach themselves to Jesus and be like they're part of the vine. But the reality is all they're doing is choking out the bush because they're not real. Amen. And so what God will do is he knows where, the, where that root is and he will cut it out and he will throw it onto the fire. And we have that again, that example of Judas who was there. You know, John says it this way in 1 John, they went out from us, but then they were, were part of us. If they had been part of us, they would have what? They would have remained with us. There it is, right? If you're truly a Christian, what are you going to do? You're going to remain. You're going to abide. And so what happens? Notice verse 7, as we begin to think about the text and abiding, you begin to bear fruit. And let's talk about this fruit for a minute because there is this argumentation, well, what does this fruit look like? And many of us, we immediately would gravitate to the idea that this fruit would be, you know, what people see. And there is an argumentation by which you can say, well, I guess some of that fruit could be external because after all, you know, when you think about fruit trees or you think about a grapevine, how do you know it's a grapevine? Well, I mean, you may be able to tell by leaves, but oftentimes you can tell by the fruit that it puts off, right? And, and I said that's a grapevine that's choking out my bush, but really it could be a muscadine, right? It could be uh, a scuppernine or some other kind of vine, you know, whatever we got here in the South, you know, it could be, could be that doing that. I've not seen any fruit to prove what it is. Uh, so I just think it's probably just a, a fake. That's what it is. It's a fake, Steve, a fake grape, whatever it is. But the reality is, you know, what does this fruit look like? Because we want to identify and we want to say, well, it's these good works. And, and I think that good works could be part of that. Uh, because in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Here it is, bearing, be, uh, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is this idea by which we can have this good work that is out there that everybody can see and everybody looks at it and everybody goes, Wow. You know, but the problem is that's where we concentrate too much of our effort. We concentrate the effort on the exterior when we need to think about the interior. I mean, when I think about the fruit, when I think about bearing fruit, I think immediately, I think of Galatians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says. 
but the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, before you go any further in that text, you have to go back a few verses to where he begins talking about the, the, the evidence of the flesh. When he talks about the fruit of the flesh or the evidence of the flesh, he says they are evident, right? He says that, that the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident. As you see them, that is, they're out there. You know, the lying, the gossiping, you know, the, all the other sins that he names in the text. He said they're out there. Everybody can see them. So he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. So what does that mean? The fruit of the Spirit should be evident as well. That is, there should be evidence in my life that I'm walking by the Spirit, that I'm abiding in Jesus, and it is all that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life. So here they are, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is evident. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are these in my life? Are they fruits that are abiding in my life? Are they coming as a result of relationship with Jesus and out of that intimate relationship. After all, did he not embody all of these characteristics? Did, did he not embody love? Certainly he did. Did he not embody joy? Certainly he does. Peace? Did he not bring peace? Was he not long suffering? Certainly he was. Was he kind? Yes, he was. Was he good? Yes, he was. Was he faithful? Even to the point of death, even the death of the cross, he was faithful. Amen. Was he gentle? Yes, he's rode into town riding on a donkey, right? Promised that he would as lowly and gentle, he says. And then was he full of self-control? You betcha, right? He could have from the cross called down a legion of angels, yet he didn't, right? So what should be evident in my life? What should be evident in my life is what's evident in the life of Christ. It ought to flow out. It ought to show out. I like what Ron Dunn said. Uh, he's uh, one of our old Southern Baptists. He's going home to be with Jesus. He says, what is our inward nature? It is Christ himself. If I am abiding in Jesus somehow or in some way, his life, his character is going to manifest in my life in an outward way so people can see. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So is the fruit of the Spirit in my life. So Jesus said in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, then the next thing he says, you will seek or you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. So there is also this blessing of prayer being answered, right? But think about fruit one last time. What other fruits do you find about? Well, there's the fruit of holiness, Listen to Romans 6.22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, he said, you have what? Your fruit to holiness. How does that happen? Because of relationship with Jesus, right? He set us free. He's the one that died. He's the one that rose to give us this freedom and has given us the fruit of holiness. Are you holy? Well, you may not necessarily act it sometimes, but you are. Before God, you're holy. Why? Because you have the holiness of Christ. The righteousness of Jesus. There is the fruit of praise. What is your life like? Do you praise God or do you just sit there like a bum on a log, you know? Do you ever get a song in your heart to Jesus? Do you ever do that? Whether you're working around the kitchen or you're folding laundry at the house or you're outside cutting the grass. you ever get a song in your heart for Jesus? Listen to what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you find yourself thankful and praising and thanking God and singing to him? It's a result of abiding. 
Romans 1.13 says there's the fruit of evangelism. That is, the only thing you're going to take to heaven, by the way, are other people. He says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered up until now, he says, talking to the Romans, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as the other Gentiles. He wanted to see people get saved. He wanted people to come to faith in Christ. And so he wanted to go there and preach the gospel, had a great desire to go there and preach the gospel. He didn't want to go there just to see Caesar and stand in court and to defend himself. He was using that as an opportunity to push himself into Rome so he could go and preach the gospel. Isn't that incredible? We run from trouble. He was running to trouble in order to preach the gospel. And then, like I said, as we think about abiding, there's the answer to prayer. Verse 7, verses 9 and 10, he begins to talking about, he says, As the Father loves me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. There is this love that we have. And, and listen, here's what he says. We love, and, that's, and as a result of that, there's this obedience, right? Uh, my command or my obedience to his commands is the love that I have for him. If I love him, I want to obey him, Right? Isn't that true? I mean, I want my kids to obey because they love me and respect me. I don't want them just to obey because I carry a wide belt, and I do. (laughs) Amen? I want them to love me and respect me, and as a result of that, do the right thing. Every parent should say amen. Isn't that right? That's what we want, right? We don't want to scare our kids into obedience. We want them to really love us and respect us and obey. And I do the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love and respect him, so I want to keep his commandments and follow him. Verse 11, he says to us, not only that, there's not only his love, but there's his joy. I find joy as a result of abiding with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I find joy in him, right? These things I have spoken to you, he said, that my joy may remain in you. He says, and that your joy may be complete, filled up. You lack joy today, maybe it's you're not abiding. Maybe you're not resting in Jesus today like you ought to be resting in Jesus. Why is all this important? What hinges all of this together? We could go back to verse 5 and say, well, pastor, it's simple. If I don't abide, then I don't produce. Yeah, that's true. But what really is driving the heart of Jesus? What is really driving the heart of the Father as he prunes And as he cuts away, what is driving the heart? I think we find it in verse 8. Look at verse 8, and we're going to conclude here. Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Folks, what is it about? It's not about me abiding in Jesus and him and me just so I have love and I have joy and I've answers to prayer. It's not just about that. It's not just so I can do my spiritual works and, and feel like, yeah, God's really working through me. It's not just so I'll exhibit all the fruit of the spirit in my life. But here it is, verse eight, that I will glorify, glorify the father. It's all about God's glory. Do you care about who gets the glory? We should. And in our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ, we want him to have all the glory. How can that happen? Well, I abide. I abide in Jesus. And as I abide in Jesus, God gets the glory for the results. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.